Across all of ESPN, we're kicking off the week on November 30th. We do it every year around the start of the college basketball season to honor our teammate, Jim Valbano, by supporting the V Foundation for Cancer Research, the foundation that he announced in his unforgettable SB speech so many years ago. And Jim's message, don't give up, don't ever give up, means even more to us this year than ever before. We're seeing it hit especially close to home with our beloved teammate and cancer fundraising champion, Dick Vitale, and his recent cancer diagnosis. If you are able, join us today in supporting the V Foundation for Cancer Research. You can give by going to v.org slash donate. That's v.org slash donate now. And now, the low post. Welcome to the Low Post podcast on a beautiful Monday morning on the East Coast where I am excited and over-caffeinated because we are about 38 or 40 hours or some amount of hours away from the early game of the year in the NBA. The 18-2 Golden State Warriors against the 17-3 Phoenix Suns who have won 16 games in a row after sauntering, blitzing, trotting all over New York City. Knicks go away. Nets, oh, ha, ha, ha. You go away too. Five games and seven nights. Who cares? 16 in a row. You know how hard that is? You can give the Sacramento Kings a permanent seven on four advantage and they would not win 16 games in a row. And someone would also vomit at courtside. I said last week on this podcast that it's time to throw the were the sons of fluke last year discussion into the trash bin of history and start a new discussion that is just basically, is this the best team in the NBA? Flat out, period, end of story. Every time we talk sons, I am thrilled to have on one of our research gurus at ESPN, one of the godfathers of Suns Blog Nation and Suns Twitter from Phoenix, Arizona, live right now, Mike Schwartz. How are you? Jack, it's great. 16 in a row. Haven't lost in the month of November yet. Just one game to go. It's a big one, like you said, against Golden State, the best team in the league right now. But man, this has to be the best month in Suns history, right? At least in the regular season. I just, they started one and three. And I remember saying to Jeff Van Gundy on my podcast then, I don't care that they're one and three. I have total trust in this team. They know who they are. They're going to be fine. He mentioned like, you know, it's hard to get motivated again after making the finals and all that. I thought they'll be fine, 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 fine. I did not expect 16 consecutive wins. And honestly, like, when when was the streak in danger? I've, I've lost track of, like, when the last time there was five minutes to go in a Suns game, and I was like, maybe they'll lose. You know, early in the streak, it, it started out kind of dicey. They were losing to Atlanta. They actually were down big to the Pelicans early in the streak. Oh, I remember and- that. And it felt it felt like it was kind of dicey once it started, but once it started percolating, there there was maybe a close call in Minnesota, where at the end of a road trip on a back to back. But you're right. Once the streak got rolling, it's it, there haven't been too many close calls. So here's the Suns' fundamentals: they are seventh in offense and third in defense. They are one of four teams actually who are in the top ten on both sides of the ball: Golden State, Miami, and Utah. And don't look now. Milwaukee is sniffing 10 and 10 territory uh, now that they're healthy again. They are plus 7.1 points per 100 possessions. That's number two, number three in the NBA. Tip In a typical year, that's usually around number two for scoring margin. In other words, everything about this team screams no-brainer, championship contender, end of story. They've won 16 games in a row, and yet you and I both know they are not receiving the amount of media coverage that would typically go to a team that is a no-brainer championship contender and on a 16-game winning streak. I've seen much angst about this in Suns Twitter. 
I actually think they're right. I think the Suns are undercovered. I have about 10 theses, hypotheses as to why that might be. But you help plan a daily NBA show. You help plan our coverage. You're in the muck of this. I'm interested. What are some of your theories as to why the Suns, for a team that just looks like a legitimately great team, are covered much less than the Warriors, the Lakers, you know, the Nets, and on and on? Yeah, it's it's really surprising to me, too. And I think our show and the NBA Today has done a pretty decent job of of giving the Suns a bone. But I think the the biggest reason, and you mentioned at the top, it goes back to people still see last year's run as sort of fluky because of the injuries that they faced. Of course, uh, Anthony Davis went down in the first round. Jamal Murray didn't play at all in the second round, although that was a sweep. I don't think Jamal Murray would have done a whole lot to change the outcome. And then uh, the biggest one to me, Kawhi Leonard missed the conference finals, which was a series that was, even without him, fairly closely contested, Suns winning in six. So I think people didn't see the Suns as just a, a dominant finals team. And I think that sort of carried over. And then really, if you go back further, you just don't see a team. It's, it's never really happened where you go 10 straight years out of the playoffs and all of a sudden you become a juggernaut. Um, obviously that's, that's the territory we're starting to get to with a, a finals run and, and now uh, a 17 and three start. So I think there's even some confirmation bias where the last, certainly the last five years of, of the 10 year streak where, where Devin Booker was there, where people just didn't think this was a team that was ever going to really get out of the muck. And I think the, there people are still believing kind of their old takes and not seeing, well, wow, Devin Booker's actually gotten a lot better every year. Chris Paul's unlocked a whole new level of this team. Mikel Bridges is a all defense type guy. DeAndre Ayton is the kind of big who can play in the playoffs. So I think it's just hard to go from where they were in people's minds to where I feel they are now. Ayton has roared back. After the injury absence where JaVale McGee and Frank Kaminsky stepped up. And as you know, the starting lineups with McGee and Kaminsky are like two of the best lineups in net rating yeah, in the entire really NBA. Are. But yep. he's roared back. You mentioned Bridges, the defense and all that. His shooting numbers, 54% overall, 39% on threes, 63% on twos. A guy that gets better every season. So you nailed, I think, a couple of the main issues about why they are undercovered. Number one, the residual... Was it a fluke last year because of the injuries? And I actually think, to me, you you mentioned Kawhi, and, and that was a close series with the Valley-Oop. Valley-Oop was game two, right? The Valley game Oop. two, yep. Um, yep. I, I actually remember, you know, I think it's the AD one that sticks out to most fans just because yeah. it was the Lakers, just because they were down 2-1 in that series, and it, and it had the vibes of, well, if the Lakers get this game four, you know, then, it, then you're in, in trouble, and then AD got hurt. In that game, and of course, that overlooks the fact that Chris Paul had all sorts of injuries and maladies through the entire postseason. And the other thing that we, I, I just, I haven't done a deep, deep dive on historical comps to see a team without like a gigantic, usually two-star free agent acquisition go yeah. from abysmal to title contender is so unusual that I just don't think people know what to make of it. But I'll tell you what to make of it. They're just they're just really really good, and they're absolutely an inner circle title contender right now. I can show you. Want to see? Do you have any other other media coverage? I like media criticism. Pod. Let's do some media criticism. What what are some others? Yeah. Well, I think exactly what you said, and then I think just the fact that the Warriors have 
kind of rounding into shape as the Warriors. So we had this last half decade of basketball where they really ran the league, won three titles, went to five straight finals. Then they had a kind of hibernated for two years, certainly for the the first year when uh, Steph was out most of the year. Clay hasn't still hasn't played in two seasons. So I think that we see the Warriors waking up and they're seeing as just this giant that it's like, well, Suns couldn't be better than this team. They're 18 and two and they don't even have Clay Thompson yet. And he's well, coming back. And, and yeah. as you said, they're like almost the inverse of the Suns where they were a dynasty. Then they went away and everyone kind of missed them. And now they're back, whereas the Suns were a dumpster fire. Nobody even thought of them. And then all of a sudden they were a title contender. So I think Warriors fever is on my list. They're yeah. also they're also not like a cute team exceeding expectations like the Hornets or the Bulls or like and I don't mean cute pejoratively those teams are good but it's like oh feel like the Bulls their Bulls are back the Hornets are the mellow to bridges other bridges show they don't have that going for them um can I share another one with you absolutely so I'm interested to hear what you think of these two theories that I have number one uh is all of this is tied up in Chris Paul, but here, here are two mm-hmm. connected Chris Paul uh, ones. Number one, the assumption that Chris Paul will get injured, I think, is always hovering. Number two, yeah. and I'm going to stop here, and, and I want your thoughts on this. I think there's a perception that is largely true that Chris Paul teams maximize the regular season, that they maximize crunch time in the regular season. They, I mean, you know, Chris wants to win every single possession and is furious when they don't. Uh, they maximize every possession. And so the flip side of that is this idea that, well, they don't have an extra gear for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. We know exactly who they are. But And then we all, all we hear all year is, wait till James Harden really starts trying. Wait till the Nets try on defense. Wait till the Lakers really engage. Wait till LeBron really amps it up. We don't hear that about the Suns. What do you think of that as as a general idea that they, they this is a team that maximizes the regular season and lacks that gear? No, I think that's interesting. Only we sort of saw that gear in the playoffs last year where they did finally get over that hump. Obviously, Chris Paul never getting to the finals was was the huge storyline through last year's playoffs. So I, I think there's something to that because, as you said, he's going to get the juice out of every single possession. Um, that's one reason why the Suns are the best clutch time team in the league this year. Two years ago in Oklahoma City, same deal. The Thunder were the best clutch time team. So I, I think that is certainly uh, part of the reason, but I think that having Devin Booker next to him as that second guy, to I think he's the guy who can kind of take it to that next level where it's not all a, a Chris Paul deal. I'm glad you mentioned the crunch time stuff because I, I just can't say this enough. You know, there have been a couple, I mean, it, high profile, bad late game moments in Chris Paul's postseason career, most notably Definitely. the 2014 playoffs against the Thunder in a pivotal game five in Oklahoma city that the Clippers gave away. Thanks largely to several Chris Paul er errors. And you just, that was a legit title contender. It was the year before the warriors became the capital W warriors. And they, they didn't win that series. They should have, they could have, should have won that series and didn't. And, and yeah, that moment and moments like it count for more than winning a game in February with two mid range jump shots that nobody is watching outside of the two markets involved. But year after year after year, the single most efficient path to being a good crunch time team 
is to get Chris Paul on your team. Yeah. His teams yeah. constantly outperform expectations in crunch time. It's because of him. It's because he never turns the ball over. It's because he has one weapon that he can get to basically anytime he wants, especially in the regular season when teams are not necessarily putting their 6'9 wing defenders on him, and that's his elbow jumper. And just the defense is rock solid. He's just one of the greatest. I mean, I don't think people think of Chris Paul this way. He's one of the greatest crunch time players in the history of the NBA. It's just until last season, we hadn't seen we, – we had – he actually – I went through his postseason record four or five years ago. He's made a lot of big shots in the playoffs. It's just been yeah. overshadowed by a couple of gaffes. And to, uh, to your point, here's the Suns in clutch time this season. They're 8-1 and one in games that go to clutch time. They're outscoring teams by 45 points per 100 possessions. Um, Booker is shooting 11 for 15. Paul's shooting six for nine. So that's 17 for 24, 71% combined along with 14 assists. So those two guys are just dominant this year in clutch time. They're completely getting it done. Well, let's talk about Booker, um, who I have loved from the moment he set foot in the NBA and can never understand why people just pigeonholed him as an empty calories loser. Uh, which yeah. just, if you watch the games and you can go back and look at my writing from 2016, 17, 18, when the Suns sucked, if you watch the games, you could tell this dude is good. He's legit. Yeah. Just waiting for a real team around him. Um, I think another reason why the Suns are undercovered is they don't have on the, sur- I'm just saying, let me preface this on the surface. Mm-hmm. They don't have the apex predator, six, seven, six, eight, wing player or whatever Giannis and Durant are, the unicorn seven-foot ball handlers, LeBron, KD, Kawhi, on and on and on, that seems to be a prerequisite for winning the title. And I I think that's – and a simpler way of saying it, they don't have a top five or six player in the NBA. But they don't have that – they appear to not have that player type overall. I will say this, though. Devin Booker, he's the closest thing they have to that. Now, you can argue that their broader system, which we'll talk about, is sort of a superstar in its own right. But Devin Booker is 6'5". He's bigger than people think. He doesn't have a huge wingspan. He's not a huge vertical athlete. But he's bigger than people think. My, MJ was 6'6", is 6'6". Kobe is 6'6", was 6'6". Um, he's not that much shorter than those guys. So I guess my question to you is, is that a real concern? Is that just looking at NBA history through almost too narrow of a lens of what makes a contender? And if it is a real concern to you, how close is Booker actually to being that kind of scorer? I think Zach, I definitely had that one on my list too, where you, you talk about like, okay, who can, can this guy be the best player on a title team? And you go down the list and do the Suns have one of those guys. And traditionally you might've said no, as you mentioned, but I think Booker is pretty close to being that type. I think he's just such a killer scorer who can get it done in so many different ways. He can be your distributor. You can play your point book. He can this year. He's actually a good three point shooter. It's funny. The one thing he hasn't been in his career is what he was supposed to be coming out a three point shooter. He's shooting a career high 41%. He was a 35% three point shooter, which just seems weird for a guy who actually is that good of a shooter. I think the fact that, he can score in so many different ways and he can be the guy when you need 
when the playoff defenses tighten up and he can score over the Paul Georges and those elite wing type players. Um, and then the fact that the Suns in Booker and Bridges, you, you sort of have both sides of it. You have that shutdown wing player and then you have the offensive guy. And that's to say nothing of having Chris Paul to run your whole system. So I think it's a little bit less of a concern. And also it's like, well, w- would it be nice to have Kevin Durant or Giannis? Well, yeah, absolutely. But those guys don't grow on trees. So so long as the Suns don't have that, that guy, the apex predator, six foot eight guy, I think Booker is fairly is getting to that range where, where at least you can be in that conversation. Uh, I agree. And, you know, I, I think if you went through, you know, the, the current crop of NBA superstars, Kawhi might be the guy. Kawhi is often compared to Michael Jordan, actually, not Kobe Bryant, because of his size, because of his strength and his just, you know, pivoty mid-range game like Michael had. Devin Booker, at for five, six years now, has been a very underrated post-up player. He's a good yeah. post player. He's a good triple threat scorer. If you put your point guard on him, he will bully that guy on the block and draw help and kick it out. And between his his footwork, his lefty floaters, which are just wildly effective, his yeah. ability to hit fading turnaround jumpers, he, as, as much as anyone is in the NBA right now, he is sort of the inheritor of Kobe Bryant's game. He, he, no one is Kobe. No one is quite – I mean, no one – Kobe is, was a unique personality, unique basketball talent. But he has a lot of Kobe in him, and I think he takes – he's talked about that he takes pride. I mean, I guess you could say Jason Tatum. He's a little taller, but I, I think that's an interesting – it's just an interesting thing. Yeah. No, d- definitely. And he definitely has that killer in him where, hey, game's on the line. Even, even this win streak, he was tweeting out like when it was a 10, you know. And you went – I was almost a little surprised about it because you wouldn't think an NBA player would really care – that much about a win streak in November, but like this means a lot to him. And I think you even saw that in in Brooklyn, like fifth game in seven nights at the best team in the East. You had every reason to, hey, you've won 15 straight games. This has been an awesome run. Uh, let's go get ready for Golden State next week. But they came out, and I think a lot of that is is just Booker's kind of moxie, kind of, like you're saying, kind of like that Kobe in him. Another reason that they are undercovered as a basketball team, and I will just mention this and leave it be for many reasons, is the Robert Sarver thing has mm-hmm. overshadowed uh, the basketball team. But this winning streak basically coincided with the release of Baxter Holmes' giant Robert Sarver investigative piece. And, I, you know, somehow this team is compartmentalizing everything and keeping that away and just winning. So let's transition from media criticism, which I think is very fair, Um uh, oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, not connected to the sort of flukishness, alleged flukishness of last year, the lack of this mythical unicorn player. I do think the absences of Jamal Murray and Kawhi Leonard right now, and to a lesser extent, Clay Thompson, are sort of making everyone hit the brakes with any analysis of like the Western Conference hierarchy. This idea that looming in the distance somewhere is is this other championship contender that is not fully formed yet. So, you know, that's TBD. We'll see what happens with those guys. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Let's transition to this year's team, which I mentioned seventh in offense, third in defense, third in net rating, um, just elite across the board. Uh, what's what's different about you? You can pick which of, which of these you want to answer. Why is this team so damn good, and what's different this year? What are they better at this year, if anything, than they were last year? I mean, one thing that I think is interesting. I don't know if it's a better or worse thing, but they play a lot faster. They're fourth in pace this season. They were 24th last season. And I think that's something where last year at the beginning of the year, it was the dueling banjos thing where Chris Paul and Devin Booker were trying to figure out how to play together. Now they've had a whole season. They had a whole playoff run together. And the Suns have, the and Mikel Bridges, I'd say one of the best transition players. So I think they've had times where they've really tried to run and they've done a better job of kind of melding the, okay, you can, you can do the Chris Paul, grind it out, take your mid range jumper whenever you want it game. And then you can also run when you want. I think that's one thing that's, that's different. Um, I think JaVale McGee and Landry Shamit have really added quite a bit. Those are the two players. They essentially brought back their whole team. Uh, John Schumann does his roster continuity piece every year. The Suns were first in that. They brought back 87% of their minutes, which I think is enormous since, hey, they were really good last season. And then you add those two guys. McGee was sort of the missing piece to me in the finals. They just didn't have another big they could really go to to either possibly put on Giannis or even – a Brooke Lopez type, the Aitons, there was so much on Aitons plate in that finals game that it just kind of became too much to handle by the end. So I think having another big like that um, with his versatility and his rebounding, I think is really important. And then Landry Shamit is just a perfect fit for the system. So I think those having those two additional depth pieces just makes them really solid 9D. Yeah, JaVale, backup center, home run. Shamit is shooting 39% on threes. And they they have really survived with like Booker at the three basically when it's Payne Shamit Booker or Payne Shamit Bridges and Johnson uh, as the backup four they have not played Payne Paul Shamit hardly at all and that that lineup has proven to be proven to be big enough the other major improvement they may be a team that the new officiating emphases have helped uh, because mm-hmm. last year they were. 29th in free throw rate on offense and 15th on defense. They were losing about three points at the line per game, which translated to about minus 250 free throw attempts for the season. This year, they're dead even. 20 20 free throws for them, 20 free throws for their opponents. They're plus six for the season in attempts. They're 16th in free throw rate and 11th in opponent free throw rate. So they're, they're starting games. They're not starting sort of from behind because the free throws. I don't know why that is. I haven't dug deep into why that, that is. They do have a bunch of handy swiping players, notably Chris Paul. 
it, yeah. maybe that maybe the uh, increased allowance uh, for physicality has sort of helped artificially deflate their free throw disadvantage. I mean, their their free throw rates are not entirely different. It's just everyone has regressed a little bit. Ha- any thoughts on how how that's happened? Yeah, that's really interesting. And then the big thing is the the rip through move that Chris Paul does. They're still calling this year, so I don't I don't know how long that's going to be. But it seems like every time the Suns get in the bonus, he's he's uh, using that move. Unwatchable, so unwatch. <laughs> and I say this as a compliment to Chris Paul. Absolutely unwatchable in the bonus. When the Suns are in the bonus, I want to put on the Homer Simpson glasses when he has jury duty and he's allowed to and he secretly falls asleep. When I'm on press row. And the Suns are in the bonus. I want those glasses because you just know what's going to happen. Yeah. He's going to do a rip through. He's going to bring the ball up and suddenly dribble sideways and stick his butt out and try to create a collision. And the refs are going to fall for it 80% of the time. And it's going to be a free throw break. Unwatchable. To Chris Paul's credit, it's efficient unwatchability. Yeah, but you get a 90% free throw shooter at the line for two shots. You know? I'm not, call- I'm not questioning. Time. Look, uh, it's really a perfect representation of what Chris Paul is. He just wants to win every possession. He doesn't care if you like it. He doesn't care if I change the channel. He doesn't care if I if I dry heave on press row. He, he just doesn't care. He just is like two. Uh, what, he can probably calculate the points per possession of a 90% free throw shooter shooting yeah. two free throws in his head. He probably has it memorized. Oh, yeah. No question. So I think the fact that the Suns are still getting that. Um, and, and like you said, a lot of handsy guards. Um, Mikel can maybe be a little more aggressive. Chris Paul can be a little more aggressive. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's certainly one of the reasons that that's helping them a bit defensively. Other than that, I, and I do think this is one of the reasons why maybe they're undercovered, they're just really good at everything. There's right. no – there's no – their sexiest strength – is probably mid-range shooting, which is about yeah. as unsexy as it gets. They're just good at everything. They're bad at nothing. And so mm-hmm. there's no kind of sexy, easy, low-hanging fruit basketball angle to be like, well, the Suns will really be a contender if they improve this, or the Suns really are a contender because they strengthen this. They're just really good across the board. They're bad at nothing. The only thing they're quote-unquote bad at is offensive rebounding, which they basically choose to be bad at by virtue of how they set up their team and how they prioritize transition defense. So there's no sort of easy basketball angle. However, if you zoom out, there's all sorts of interesting basketball angles, one of which is I mentioned before that their broader system is almost a superstar in and of itself. And by that, I mean two things. The first is they are almost diametrically opposite teams in terms of shot selection and shot selection allowed on defense. By which I mean, on defense, they don't want you to shoot threes and they don't want you to get to the rim. They want you to shoot a whole shit ton of mid-range jumpers and they succeed in that. They play mathematical, perfect, calculated defense. On offense, they play anti-math offense where they Mm -hmm. are an infrequent three-point shooting theme. I think they're 25th in three-point shooting frequency. They never get to the rim. They're 28th in shots at the rim and they shoot a whole big pile of long twos. But the method behind that is... They are uh, – that seems like anti- like contradictory. Like how can you build a defense to take away this and do the same – do the things you're trying to get other teams to do on offense. But really for the Suns, when you have the personnel they have, there's a method to that madness where it's like, yeah, we know. We, we know how to defend. We know what you're trying to do and we're taking it away. You can't take away what we're trying to do because yeah. you're built around taking all that other stuff away from all the other teams. And in the playoffs, I think that's one of the reasons why – they do have a little bit of an extra playoff gear because they're prepared 
for postseason defense who, who, who dial it up and only concede the toughest shots. And that way, I think their sort of ecosystem is like almost an extra star. Yeah, no, absolutely. Booker's averaging 5.7 points a game for mid-range. Chris Paul, 4.6. So Booker's top five. Chris Paul's top 10. And you look at the the game today, you want to take away mid-range jump shots and the Suns invite those shots and they're really efficient at them. So I, I think that really does make them tough to defend. And uh, back to your point earlier, there isn't, there's no lob city. There's no Splash Brothers three-point shooting. There's no overarching theme where it's, oh, that's what the Suns are. That's what they do. They're just a team that dominates in the clutch, has, has two stars that take mid-range jump shots. That's almost what you would say their identity is. And like you said, they're good at everything. They're a good defensive team. They're a good offensive team. Um, and they have some, they have really good depth. I think their depth is somewhat underrated. The fact that you have Cam Johnson off the bench, damn it. You've got guys who can uh, play the system, space out the floor for, uh, for the Suns two stars and play really well together. Campaign as well, a Javel off the, the bench. So I think the depth and mid-range shooting and clutch play like that's not stuff you think of like oh wow that's a sexy contender but it's really effective now the other the other way by which i mean their sort of broader ecosystem is a star in and of itself is the mid-range shooting and the ability of booker and cp to get to those shots off the dribble against big guys or whoever on switches or even against their own defenders that sort of – they've become a very effective team against switches, which we saw over and over again in the playoffs. You put a big guy on an island with those guys, it, it's, it's, it's mean. I mean, it's cruel. What yeah. Chris, when Chris Paul gets a big guy on him, I just sort of sit back and put my hands behind my head and just enjoy the show because he's, he's not only trying to score, he's trying to embarrass that guy a little yeah. bit. So the great isolation scoring, and then with Aiton, and this was the big thing in the Clippers series and what the Jazz did not have against the Clippers series, which will be relevant tonight, or tomorrow night rather, against the Warriors, is when you switch or go small, you got to actually worry about him, not just offensive rebounding, but posting up over switches. And yeah, he's not always going to finish hard and dunk. He's not going to get to the foul line. He's going to settle for these little soft jump hooks, but he's got a soft touch, and they go mm-hmm. in. And so he, he's, a, he's a problem... In, in that sense, too, and, and just they have an answer for some of the sort of bedrock playoff defensive schemes. It's not the sexiest answer, but they have answers. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a team that's it's built well for the playoffs. And I think that was the almost the biggest question for me going into last year's playoffs. What Aiton are you going to get? Because he has been inconsistent quite a bit throughout his career, but he probably had the best stretch of his entire career during the playoffs last year. Um, certainly up until maybe the last few games of the finals with the most efficient shooting postseason in NBA history. And then defensively, he was able to go from defending Anthony Davis, defending Jokic and doing a well enough job on Jokic that the Suns could sweep that series to playing the Clippers switches and, and doing a nice job of that on, on both ends. So I think that he's sort of that next key because he's that defender. He's the big man who can stay in the court in the playoffs, which is getting more and more rare these days. Yeah, well, I'm very anxious to see how he looks tomorrow against the Warriors, who will, you yeah. know, will play Draymond at center a ton, and even play, you know, either Porter or Bayaliza or JTA, whoever you want to call the quote-unquote center, when both Draymond and Looney are off the floor. So they're going to see uh, a ton of small ball. The other thing is, you know, you leave out all that stuff, you zoom out, forget the ISOs and the mid-range shots. What the Suns also lean on is. 
I think probably the most sophisticated pick and roll attack in the entire league in terms yeah. of coordinating between on ball and off ball motion happening at the same time. I wrote about it during the Denver series last year when the Nuggets just they were turning their heads all around like, you know, chickens with their head cut off. They had no idea what was going on. Flare screens, well-timed cuts. And look, I don't want to get too far into the minutia, but they have only added more and more layers to that onion this season. They have new kinds of like they have the Danny Green cut where a shooter will cut to the strong side during a pick and roll, like sneaking along the baseline, almost like tiptoeing along the baseline, which you just don't see that cut. They have new kind of back screen actions. They just they just add and add and add. And to your point about continuity, that's yeah. the kind of thing you can do when you bring back 87% of your roster. And look, again, it's not sexy. Nobody uh, ever uh, got a 2,000, 2 million page views writing about Phoenix Suns flare screens and off-ball cuts. And it's fashionable to say, well, those are the kind of things that playoff defenses take away. They dial in, they scout, you know, all these open looks for Kyle Korver and Duncan Robinson on other teams vanish in the playoffs. It didn't vanish for the Suns last year because they're just mm-hmm. damn good at all that stuff and they have a lot of good shooters. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I think having seen it in the playoffs last year, is one of the things that makes me more confident going forward. What are you looking for against the Warriors? What's interesting to you about that matchup? As a Suns fan, what what are you going to be zeroing in on opening couple possessions of the game? I think the biggest thing is how you're going to defend Steph. I think that's always the biggest thing when you're playing Golden State. A lot of times they'll use Mikel Bridges on the best perimeter player, and I imagine they will quite a bit. But um, the Suns also like to give guys like Steph a lot of different looks. So I think the answer is there's no way you really can guard Steph Curry, but I'm wondering if Mikel's length will give him some trouble and um, how much the Suns will react to his um, off-ball pressure. You mentioned the different looks, and I think I'm toying with the column about this. I think if you look at the Warriors, who are number one in defense, and the Heat, who I think are fourth in defense, both of those teams are throwing out three and four different kind of defenses in every game. They're good at all of them, and there's not necessarily like a pattern to how they do it. Like the Warriors' man-to-man defense will be doing fine, and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden they'll be in a box and one for like two possessions with no warning, no reason to change defenses, and and it throws opponents off. The Heat, the same thing. They'll be doing – they'll switch everything. Then they'll go to a zone, even though the switch everything worked. And sometimes it has to do with whether Bam's in the game or Deadman's in the game. Then they'll go from a zone. Then they'll start switching everything again. And it's like you just don't know what you're going to face uh, when when you're coming up. And the Warriors have been very effective at that. I'll be interested to see how the Suns react to it. Uh, last one, and then I'll let you go. What's Maybe there isn't even one, but 20 games in, it's very clear the Suns are a championship contender. That, that discussion's mm-hmm. over. They may be even the favorite in the Western Conference, depending on how much you buy the Warriors. What's one semi-weakness area of concern, rotation weakness? Is there anything about this team that you're like, boy, if that that's if they can just fix that or cinch that up a little bit, boy, I would feel I would sleep better at night. I mean, I'm I'm still worried sort of with their size. You saw it happen by the end of the Milwaukee series where they sort of got uh, grinded down. And I'm worried if, if they miss Aiton for any extended period of time. Javel and Kaminsky did a great job uh, papering that over early this season. But against the really tough teams, I'm still worried about the interior depth. I think that might be a move you might need to make, especially to get a guy who can maybe play a little more small ball five. I think they're going to be searching for that kind of player. Obviously, Saric 
would would have been very helpful. He's out for yeah. the season. Right. Last year, everyone's pitched Thaddeus Young for them. Thad has not played well, or played much rather for the series. Played okay, just hasn't played much. Uh, I was trying to, I was trying to get them to get Larry Nance Jr. Or yeah, that would have been on, a great fit on a lower scale. Kenrich Williams last year, they they stood pat and were proven right to stand pat. I think they'll probably be more aggressive this season. Speaking of size, like I actually thought they might miss Tory Craig a little bit more yeah. as, the, as the rangy fourth wing and and the and the sort of de- decrease in size from him to Shamit playing that role. They haven't felt that yet, really. I, I don't think. Do you? No, I don't think they have, but I, I think that's another guy in the playoffs, especially in the Clipper series. It, it was nice to have that guy who can uh, be a small ball five, defend for you a little bit, and and shoot some threes. I, I think that's a role that it, going down in the playoffs that they're really going to miss or could use. 16 straight, Mike. Unreal. 16 straight. I got to bring up their schedule right now because I want to see who they play after, after the Warriors. Um, uh, it goes Detroit and then the Warriors again. So we oh, get boy. the Warriors twice this week. So so getting to 20, which, yeah. yes, I realize round numbers are stupid and being interested in round numbers are stupid. However, at the end of the day, I am a caveman with hundreds of years of thousands of years of sophistication built on top of the caveman. My caveman brain still likes round numbers. 20 games is just cooler than 18 games or 17 games or 16 games. 20 games is... 25% of NBA season. That would be cool. But yeah, that's that's going to take two wins over the Warriors. I will bet against that happening and that the Warriors get one of these two games, but whoo. It gets to 18 though. I think they win Tuesday and then of course you expect them to beat Detroit at home, but second night of a back-to-back at Golden State, especially if you win the first one, will be tough. 18 would but be eight, nice. That would be the franchise record. The franchise record is 17. So, I mean, it's a lot of games, man. You got to be on yeah. cloud nine with this. This is this is crazy. Yeah, it's it's like everything builds on itself. First, winning eight straight in the bubble was absolutely unreal. Then you get the finals run, which still is obviously better than a any regular season win streak. But it's just like, wow, how have, how have they gone from ten years out of the playoffs to this? It, it's definitely been a fun run. Well, you mentioned the finals, and and you, the thing you said about the the Bucks just sort of grinding them down. And the thing you could see happening in that series because in part of the size differential was the math was just working against Phoenix. They were reduced yeah. to long jump shots and they had to shoot them incredibly well to have any chance to win. Whereas the Bucks were living at the rim, winning the free throw battle, winning the offensive rebounding battle. And that's where that sort of 28th in shots at the rim, that's where, it, that where, that's where I feel a lot of relief that they've at least evened out the free throw thing so far because that chips away at that. But that's the sort of subtext of your, boy, the size thing kind of worries me a little bit. Otherwise, you know, this team can go toe-to-toe with anybody in the West, that at least that we're going to see this year. And so I, they're completely legit. I, I don't know if I'd pick them or the Warriors or them or the full, fully formed Clippers with Kawhi at 90% or whatever. Jamal Murray and the Nuggets, all that. But this team is a completely legit title contender, period, end of story. And it's... They're just they're just a machine, man. They just they just come out and they do their thing, and suddenly you're down by 12 in the second quarter. You're like, whoa! Would, doesn't even seem like they're playing that great. What's going on? And then if you're down by five in the fourth quarter, you're not worried either because you got Chris Paul and Devin Booker, two of the best clutch players in, in the league this year. Incredible. All right, Mike Schwartz, you do incredible work for us. Um, 
at ESPN, finding all sorts of trends and nuggets and answering questions on the spot. I'm happy that you are getting a fun sequel to last year's super fun season. I look forward to seeing you in L.A. for NBA Today. Keep up the great work, my friend. Thanks. Always fun, Zach. Don't forget to watch NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews, Monday to Friday at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific. Get caught up with the latest from around the NBA with a cavalcade, an actual cavalcade of analysts on NBA Today on ESPN and the ESPN app. The show is also available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, now for our bi-monthly, like JCPenney, our bi-monthly checkup into the league's Weirdest team slash Lakers rubbernecking session. Let's bring in our Lakers guru, Mr. Dave McMenamin. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Zach. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm better than Isaiah Stewart's face. I'll tell you that much. So it's been an interesting, an interesting 10 days in Lakerdom. You were on the road for a gazillion years. We had the Isaiah Stewart melee. We had LeBron helping get two fans kicked out of the game in Indiana a triple overtime loss to the lowly Sacramento Kings. Uh, Murmurs, rumblings, I was going to say murmblings, which is not a word, uh, of Frank Vogel's job security being somewhat in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And then a not-that-rousing four-point win or six-point win, I can't remember, over the Detroit Pistons in the revenge game on Sunday night. The Lakers are now 11-11. and 22nd in offense, 18th in defense, 24th in net rating. Obviously, LeBron has only played half of their games. Mr. McMenamin, do you want to take a guess as to what the Lakers' scoring margin is with LeBron James on the floor this season? I'd say somewhere, like the the total or the total 100 possessions? Total total scoring margin. Uh, Plus 50? Zero. Oh, wow. Exactly zero. 
Their current starting lineup, well, let's actually zoom out. They're currently starting Avery Bradley, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and DeAndre Jordan in a lineup so antiquated and ineffectual on offense, it's almost adorable. Uh, For the season, the Russ-LeBron-AD-DJ quartet, the quartet, 98 points per 100 possession, which is basically the Thunder, 105 allowed, minus 14 in 75 minutes. That, Mr. McMenamin, is not going to work. I'll give you a silver lining, and then we'll talk about the vibes. Here's your silver lining if you're the Lakers. This is the one one I'm hanging my hat on Mm -hmm. when I place my bet on them raising the banner or winning the West in Vegas. If I were a gambling man, I wouldn't bet that. I said before the season I'd take the field over the Lakers in a heartbeat. Now Mm -hmm. that's, like, not even a question. They look so weird, and the other teams at the top look so good. But here's what I'm hanging my hat on. In 116 minutes with the big three, if we can call this a big three, and no center on the floor, no mm-hmm. DJ, no Dwight, Lakers are plus 16, 113 points per 100 possessions, 107.7 allowed. That's the construction that's going to get the Lakers somewhere. It seems to be working pretty well. But overall, this team is sort of a mystery, a morass of uncertainty. Mr. McMenamin, like, what the hell is going on over there? What, 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 what am I supposed to take from any of this? One, they can no longer say that half our roster is injured. And so we can actually begin to judge what we see and draw some conclusions. For a, a decent chunk of the season, you couldn't do that. Mostly because if LeBron James is missing games, then what are you talking about anyway? That's not going to be any representation of the team they intend to become. The things that concern me and certain things that you brought up, it's the formula when they put this thing together was uh, we will get defensive stops and then get the ball to our playmakers and LeBron and Russ and their overlapping skill set or their awkward fit won't matter if we're playing up and down all the time because both those guys are killer in the open court. They have good instincts. We have enough shooting that we added to this roster that will maximize those efforts. And that gets us through a regular season. And then when we get to the playoffs, we have some of the brightest basketball minds of the last generation and we'll be able to figure out teams over a seven-game series. I'm not so sure if they can continue to go that way, even though the sample size between LeBron and Russ hasn't been all that much to speak of yet anyway. They're recognizing that, one, Russell Westbrook's turnovers, uh, the way, the nature of them have made things awkward for this team. How would you uh, describe the nature of them, Dave? Ghastly? Horrific, inexcusable, nausea-inducing, puzzling. Does he have grease on his hands? What would you describe as the nature of those turnovers? They are gut punch turnovers. They are perplexing. They are often untimely. And many times it comes with the added consequence of not only getting a shot or a possession off the board for the Lakers offense, but... Now they're running back where there's not court balance and the other team is playing the style the Lakers intend to play, which is three on two, two on one, shoving it down the Lakers' throat. And so that has not been something that's been conducive to this style of play and that makes you also wonder, well, it's, is it not maximizing Anthony Davis? And is that a 
you know, market inefficiency of this team right now, that the fact that they have Anthony Davis and he is floating out around the perimeter. Uh, Kirk Goldsberry pointed out that uh, by a certain metric, he was the worst jump shooter in the league this he's season. Now, he's now 41% on long twos. And after making two threes last night against the Pistons, in which you said he's spacing the floor so DeAndre Jordan can roll to the basket, which is really a sentence I just said as we near 2022, <laughs> He's now 9 of 44. That's 20% on threes. Yeah, that can't be a, a way you maximize that guy. And so you know, it's been suggested to me that as this season progresses, perhaps this fast break, break style will not be their ultimate uh, destination. And, and maybe it's going to have to lead to more post-up possessions through AD, through LeBron, uh, and slow it down some. Uh, that that's that's a complete difference uh, from what their intended uh, course that they wanted the chart was. And I'll tell you, Dave, last night was Chick Hearn night at the. Is it already the Crypto.com Center? Uh, yeah, I think I think Christmas Day it switches over. Okay, so last night was Chick Hearn night at the Staples Center. By the way, a lot of people up in arms about the name change. Staples. People, see, these names exist for so long that you somehow they become ingrained in your brain and you forget that Staples is the place where I bought like Trapper Keepers and Folders in 1993. I mean, it's like not the most um, uh, glamorous and elegant name for a basketball arena. Anyway, last night was Chick Hearn night, and you mentioned AD post-ups and LeBron post-ups and even Russ post-ups, which they do because they can't figure out what else to do with Russ. Chick Hearn's statue outside Staples Center could pretty much be one of the other four players on the floor for the Lakers during a lot of those post-ups, considering how much movement is going on. Now, jokes aside, let me give you some reasons for optimism, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, I already gave you the lineup numbers of the lineup types that are going to be the real lineups for this team when yeah. they go and get stuff. AD at center with the other two stars. Russ is starting to play better, showing signs of life. That's a trajectory that has, has happened the last couple seasons. Just something, a little sneaky one to keep in mind. And I wonder, I, I feel like this is a good story idea for someone uh, covering a team like you or, or even maybe I'll, I don't know if it's going to last. But Russ is shooting 53% on corner threes. He's 14 of 25 on corner threes. He, I don't even want to look up the numbers on non-corner threes. threes. Yeah. He, he's taken more corner threes as a percentage of his shot attempts than in in his career. And if the roadmap of this team is AD at center, the big three and two other wings slash shooters, whatever, you still got to figure out how to put Russ. And if Russ can hit enough wide open corner threes, like that's a play. He doesn't want to be there. He's Russell Westbrook. He's a triple double king, et cetera. But if I can put him there and he can hit enough, oh, he's not going to hit 53%. But that that's interesting to me. That's I'm just saying that it's early, but 14 to 25, that's interesting to me. And last one, um, to your point about to our point about sort of the mystery of this team, the Lakers' most played lineup this season has played 51 minutes total. That's the lowest for any team's number one most used lineup. Like you can see Frank Vogel kind of zeroing in on a rotation pattern. Like start big. I don't think that has a lot of saying power, but start big. Okay, stagger Russ and LeBron as much as possible. When Russ comes back in the game, AD's at center because we can't play Russ in a traditional center. Like, you can see these patterns, even just something as simple as attaching Wayne Ellington to LeBron because they go well together. You can see patterns emerging 
And I just want to give it another six weeks as those patterns solidify, as maybe Ariza and Nunn come back. Because I do think if you look hard enough, you can see something maybe, maybe kind of the outlines of something. On the Ariza and Nunn front, and one or two of both those guys, uh, even just adding Ariza, he's close to returning. He's probably in the about the week to two-week range. Lakers will try to get him some court time with the rest of the team Monday afternoon before they fly to Sacramento for Tuesday's game. But that will give them theoretically another active body defensively. Austin Reeves came back from a hamstring injury. It gives Frank uh, kind of a viable excuse to only play one center. Uh, You saw in Austin Reeves' return, you didn't get any minutes for Dwight Howard. It was purely DeAndre Jordan in there, and uh, it's going to be really tough, as you've mentioned, to continue to play two centers and, and find the optimum uh, identity for this team. You've also seen LeBron get some minutes at center. Uh, late in the Indiana game, it was really effective. Uh, he draws out someone like DeMontis Sabonis way out to the perimeter. When LeBron's making his threes, it looks even better, obviously, but that creates space for uh, the guys that he's been playing with, Mello, Russ, um, to do what they're going to do and not have the defense tilt all the way out to one of those guys. And Frank used a little bit in the win against Detroit and said that it's kind of a lot of he likes that he wants to continue to tinker with. So as you mentioned, silver linings, some of these things they're starting to put together. And when they get these other guys back, it'll help. Now on the nun front, I'm told it's it's not close now. Progressing in the right yeah, direction. I've, I've, I've heard I've heard the same. Not close. But yeah, that that's that's a tough blow. You use your mid level ex- exception in the off season to get him, uh, and you haven't got one minute from him yet. And uh, there's a feeling within the team that the combination of Monk, Talon Horton Tucker, and Nunn can give them this uh, dynamic playmaker kind of second look that they didn't have on either of last two seasons teams, uh, but they haven't been able to put that, that team into fruition yet. On the other hand, Alex Caruso should feel heartened that the Lakers were willing to pay some luxury tax money to other teams to keep him, but not that much, but there's just some, even though your salary is not going to be that high, Alex, like think of the tax money that almost counts as your salary. It's almost, almost, almost part of it. LeBron wait, 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 wait. Can we just can we just take one second on that? Sure. So obviously, if that is the plea to Alex to understand, like, well, we are willing to pay you, uh, but the total cost to us will be this, and so please understand that. Okay, put that aside. But the end of the day, are we supposed to think that in order to be a contender? you have to be willing to spend all told something like $35 million to retain Alex Caruso for one season. Is that the cost of being a contender? If that's what it is, then let's just make that clear. I think you can still make moves around the margins. Uh, like, it's, it's are, fair. are the Lakers 18 and 10 if they have Alex Caruso this season right now? I think they might be 28 and 0 the way Caruso's playing. <laughs> 22 and 0. 22 Come on, Zach. 
no, it's a fair point. Even the Warriors, who are spending a gazillion dollars more than the Lakers, have sort of kept roster spots open, finagled the two-way stuff. Like it happens. It's 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 it is a lot of money, even for the Lakers, who if they the buses sold the team right now, I don't even God only knows what they would get for it. Um, but you mentioned LeBron at center. Yeah, they used it again last night against the Pistons. Plus third, plus nineteen and thirty-two minutes for the season with LeBron at center. One hundred and twenty-three offensive rating, one hundred and six defensive rating. I think this is something they're just going to have to use. I, I think it's so effective and so good, not just for LeBron, but especially for Russ, because it it mimics that Houston setup when they took the centers out and just said, "Hey, Russ, Russ is still a good ISO player. If he can just drive into his guy and there's no one around the basket." Yep. Um, it's the kind of accommodation you have to make for him. The only good minutes Russ had in that debacle in Boston two Fridays ago were when they had no other big guys on the floor, and he could just do that. With I think Tatum was on him at some points, and he still just took it, took it right at him. I think, look, that look. There are some nights where it's going to look stagnant because what it doesn't have is someone who wants to screen and roll all the time. Like we know Russ doesn't want to do that. And last night, not coincidentally, LeBron became the roller in that lineup. Got two buckets off of pick and rolls with. THT when he was the roller, but I, I I like that look, and I think given the options that they have and what it does for Russ, I, I think it's something that they should make a part of their rotation almost every game. Yeah, I think it's smart. Now, obviously, it comes with the caveat that you are not playing Anthony Davis in those minutes, and that's right. He's got to he's got to sit he's got to sit but fifteen gotta, minutes again at some point. Sure, that's a fair point. I mean, he's. Um, that gives them a, a different look, and you're right. I think the cautionary part is that LeBron can be a guy who will pound on the perimeter, work down the shot clock, and then it's a whipping you a shot in the corner. And if you don't make it, it feels like the weight of the world's on your shoulders because the entire arena was anticipating uh, that shot the entire time the ball was in flight to your hands the entire time you let it go. And um, LeBron can shoot a withering stare sometimes if you don't make that shot. So I think you got to have the right personnel around him in, in that lineup. But, uh, you know, and, and also hope that LeBron doesn't get too shot happy from three when he gets centers out on him because you know he likes to do that thing where he puts the ball down in his hand as if he's uh, admiring uh, his newborn baby that he's swaddling. Uh, and then all of a sudden jerks up and, and shoots the three over the center's face. He can make it, and it is like become a little patented part of his game in the last couple of seasons. But there are more efficient so- shots that Le- LeBron can create for others. Um, the size thing is interesting. Obviously, that's as small as the Lakers will play, and Laker Nation is tired of DeAndre Jordan, and they should be tired of DeAndre Jordan. He's not helpful on either. And he had a good stretch last night. I mean, their starting five had a good stretch last night. It, it, Detroit helped with some turnovers. Some guys who haven't made a lot of threes made some threes for them. But they had – and DJ, look, the bottom line is DJ is like guys were blown by him on the pick and roll last night. But he's he's still a good defensive rebounder. And this team is 25th in defensive rebounding. When DJ's on the floor, they defensive rebound at like a top seven or eight rate. Like he's still helping. And I could like – as a as I, I know coaches, I talk to coaches, like rebounding stuff stresses them out. Frank Vogel has made a living as – coaching big, big teams. Even the team that won the championship stayed big as long as they could until their backs were against the wall. And you saw it even against the Rockets in that playoff series when they would trap Harden, the size they had, and they would use their center to trap him sometimes, they would have AD and LeBron behind the play 
and the sheer size of that really made their defense fearsome. So I don't think we're going to reach a point where the centers are just gone. And I get why coaches, including Frank Vogel, kind of they gravitate towards size, particularly when you're struggling to rebound. Part of the reason they're struggling to rebound is when they start switching, they just cannot get a defensive rebound when they switch. And you know who's, you know, by the way, whose rebounding numbers are at a career low? LeBron. LeBron. LeBron's yeah. rebounding numbers have fallen off a cliff. And, and some it of that is Russ because Russ comes in and, and he's going to get his share. And you're not used to playing with a guard who's going to average close to 10 rebounds a game. But LeBron, he's only played half the season. So let's say that. And he came back from Desmond Bain falling into his leg. And he came back from obviously this abdomen thing that. that and he was holding his side down the stretch last night, too. Did, you, did anyone ask him about that? I afterwards? asked him about it. I did. And, and he said, like, I'll, I'll be fine. I'm playing on Tuesday. Fair enough. Like a very quick rebuff. Let's let's move on from that. But he had the ice pack on his you know, abdomen area during his post game comments yesterday. Clearly, something made him feel discomfort late in the Detroit game. Whether it was, you know, he got took a shot to the ribs, whatever, whatever. But um, there are maladies that have attached themselves to him, uh, and they don't appear to be completely gone. And so I think that's part of the the defensive. Uh, rebounding numbers for him or rebounding numbers for him in general. But that part of the reason why DeAndre Jordan is playing right now was they got spanked on the glass in Boston. I think 51 to Brutal. 33 or something like that. It, it was embarrassing. And they needed uh, to address that. And there is the personality piece with Anthony Davis where, listen, he's made it clear from his opening press conference with the Lakers, like playing center is not the way he views himself in this league. And I think if you give him two guys who are somewhat capable, obviously, of at least doing something like that, taking a bigger body and taking 20 minutes a game of feeling that impact of the bigger body, it's something that Anthony appreciates. But, you know, listen, if you don't get elevated to the four or five seed uh, throughout the regular season um, and you're saving Anthony for the playoffs, it probably doesn't matter. Because you're not, I, I don't think this is the type of year the Lakers can say, uh, yeah, put us to six or seven. We'll fine. We're fine. We'll, we'll march through to the finals. There's too many good teams. Seven is stressful. Seven is stressful now. They lived it last year. They survived it last year, but it was stressful. Um, I just don't – they appear – Frank Vogel appears for now to have settled on this Russ, Avery, Bradley, LeBron, AD, DJ starting lineup. I do not believe in that lineup. I don't think it should be their starting five. I don't. I think both Jordan and Avery Bradley are problems there, but I, I just don't. The, Avery Bradley is minus one hundred and seven. I should say the Lakers with Avery Bradley on the floor are minus one hundred and seven in four hundred and sixty-eight minutes. That's by far the worst plus-minus on the team. Like it's hard to be that minus that quickly. I just am not a believer in that lineup. But look, I'm just reading a tweet from Woj right now. The Knicks are benching Kemba Walker, and they're going to start Alec Burks at point guard. And the Knicks starting five has been a disaster the entire season. And it took and it's also the most played lineup in the entire NBA, despite the fact that the, everyone on the team knows what it's plus minus. Like my point is it takes a long time sometimes for coaches to get out of their comfort zone early in a season. So I, I don't know how long we're gonna see that lineup. I don't love it, but I have a feeling we have not um, we have not seen the last of it. On LeBron, we're only eleven games in. Everyone wants to focus on the shots at the rim and the free throws which are down. He just still, he just looks overall creaky.
to me, creakier. And I've and I've seen it on defense more than offense. Like he's getting blown by on closeouts. Frank Jackson blew by him last night. Sadiq Bay blew by him. And this team needs LeBron to be a very good defensive player. I think I, I think actually all the focus on Anthony Davis's jumper. I think every other facet of AD's game looks awesome. I think AD's playing really well. The numbers say he's allowing 62% shooting at the basket when he's around, which is really not good. But I, I just think he's plugging so many holes for them. I'm almost willing to throw those numbers aside and say he's he's probably trying to bail out bad defensive possessions at the last minute. I think he looks really good. I just think the load he's having to carry on defense right now is too big. And they're, they're, trend, they're ticking upwards now. They're almost league average defensively. I just... I'm going to assume LeBron looks creaky because it's 11 games in. There have been injuries. I don't quite know how to predict his health going forward anymore because he's just at that age and minutes load where you don't know. I'm going to assume he looks better than this by the end of the season because right now the way he's playing, they're not going to really get too far in the playoffs. But I, I think I, I'm going to assume otherwise. If he has South on this side, he'll, he'll be certainly a better player as we get closer to the postseason. You think about it, he didn't have a ton of basketball on his slate this past offseason because he was coming back from the groin injury, that, or excuse me, not the groin injury, the ankle injury that wasn't even healed by the time he got back on the court for that, that brief playoff run that they had. Uh, usually he comes into the season and he has this like robot malfunction where <laughs> – he is turning the ball over. Like that's the last part of his game that comes back to him after an off season is his feel and his touch. And um, his turnovers usually spike early on and then taper off. And because he's had these, the stop and go, the turnovers, he hasn't quite gotten over that kind of unfortunate uh, part of, of his game that, that tends to be the first sign of rust for him. And so you take that away give him some more familiarity with his teammates, give him some actual games under his belt where his conditioning is up. Because, again, they if they want to stick to this fast-break style of play, which I'm not sure ultimately will be their best way to serve them, but if they are, they need guys to be fully committed and fully in condition to do so. Uh, I, I actually thought it was notable last night uh, against the Pistons, maybe the highlight of the game was just a terrible skip pass from Russ, Russell Westbrook that you know, nearly went out of bounds and LeBron caught it uh, right by the Pistons bench, hit a three, um, flipped back to kind of give a, a look to the bench. But then from that moment, he sprinted back on defense. And it was the type of sprint that reminded me of the early days when Ty Lue took over the Cavs and he was like purposely uh, – LeBron was trying to show buy-in to Ty because Ty wanted to play a, a faster style of play. And you saw the way he ran – it, it's you can't you can't miss it. LeBron James running at his full capacity is a sight to behold. And and I saw it last night after that three, and I wondered, okay, is that because everyone is taking their cues from LeBron if you play with him uh, on a team, and if, if he's showing that uh, we can't be satisfied with the score, we're going to bust our hump back on defense. Uh, maybe that's a small kernel to to note uh, as they can continue to improve. The running thing is really interesting because I, I just think if Russ is going to be on the floor with AD and sometimes with another big man, they have to run. And even like AD and DJ even, 
got quick seal post-up buckets last night. Like, just even if you have a favorable matchup because you contested a shot and leaked out, whatever, because their half-court offense is just eh. They're 26th in points per possession after made baskets by the other team. That's according to Unpredictable. But look, we lived this movie two years ago, too, where their half-court offense was an area of concern all season long, and then the playoffs started, and they couldn't miss any jump shots, and they were unbelievable. And LeBron and AD are so good that they don't need optimal spacing. They don't need optimal anything. That's the whole point of being a superstar. You can thrive in any kind of um, environment. But But they're second in pace. Their transition offense has been pretty good. I just like the way it looks when they run because that's the best use of Russ. Even THT, he's going to be one of their bellwethers to me because whether he can make an up open, open threes is a big deal for them as another answer in the in those AD at the five lineups. But he's a good grab and go guy. Like it's interesting to hear you think you you say that the running thing is we don't know about the sustainability of it. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard that before because to me it's they have to play that way with Russ. But it's it's interesting to hear what you're saying. Just because they haven't had the full buy-in, uh, and not necessarily like the players don't believe it's the right system. It, it's you have to do it. You have to commit to it. Like if you are a running team that doesn't run, it looks terrible. It's like a, a zone defensive team being a Syracuse guy. Like if you don't actually play the zone the right way, the zone looks terrible. And kind of the same thing. Like they had to like. You had to sprint. You and that's why you look at the guys on the bench. In a way, it's helpful that Rondo isn't playing right now because you gotta have voices like that um, to like constantly remind, constantly hold them to a certain standard, constantly explain to whomever it may be, the Wayne Ellingtons of the world or Kent Bazemore, that your your job on this possession is to sprint as fast as you can to the corner and like really, really fast. Because you need to make sure to cause the defense to react, which allows us to open up our transitionary offense where we have all these triggers that are based on where the defense is positioned. Um, And that's like, conceptually, all these guys could be on the same page, but you actually had to train your body to do it. What's the actual scuttlebutt on Frank Vogel's job status, if there even is any? I mean, there is scuttlebutt, um, but there's but, always there's always scuttlebutt. There's scuttlebutt about everybody. Yeah, that that's true. Um, I, I think the best way to look at it is anyone who's been around the league for even a couple seasons recognize that any coach getting a one year extension that is a sign of uh, not uh, full confidence in the organization. So that starts the conversation before the season even began. Uh, now, you add in the fact that the Lakers added a former head coach and David Fisdale to the staff in the offseason. So they have someone, theoretically, with head coaching experience, should Frank be relieved. Okay, you add a little bit more fuel to the fire. Uh, but And by the way, you don't want to... It sucks to put Fizz in that position, right? Because it sucks to sort of... Um, and we all, it's just a thing. Like, he knows LeBron, Coach LeBron in Miami. They're very close. It it sucks for him that he's just going to be looked at that way. But also, let's not be naive. When the Lakers make that hire, they know the kind of speculation that's going to invite, whether it's fair or not. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I think the things that you would point to as to why they perhaps would stick this out beyond just loyalty to Frank Vogel, because... <laughs> 
what 14 months ago they, they won the championship it's it's you sometimes have to scream like did that i just did i just wake up and like frank vogel was being lauded for his instilling a defensive identity getting lebron and ad to buy into it like all the most important stuff you're supposed to have and they won right but from the negotiations with teron Lou to however they decided to deal with alex caruso there's been several examples over the last couple of years where the Lakers, uh, their decision decision making was determined in large degree by their wallet, and I don't I'm not so sure they would want to make the financial commitment to go something like that mid season. Now maybe when the season's over, maybe they reassess. But I, I don't like if there was the candidate out there. Like if there was if this was the Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, Kobe Powell Lakers and Phil Jackson had just retired from coaching 18 months prior. And you had someone like that looming over the organization, still in the city, still with familiarity with half the roster. Oh yeah, I could see this conversation having more legs. But right now, I, I think it's kind of a, it's a lot of people who know the industry talking about it because there's an expectation for this team to win and Frank didn't get that true vote of confidence with the extension but on the other side what is like what's the solution like well, who is the guy I, I don't I don't see it well and also look do I think Frank Vogel's done an amazing coaching job this year no I mean I, I just I don't like some of the lineups he plays but it's also very early and I coaches sometimes take time to get to different places and LeBron's missed half the season and hasn't looked great in the half he's that didn't look great by his standards in the half he's played. And you knew the minute you traded a whole basketball team for Russell Westbrook, who's one of the trickiest fits in some ways in the NBA, particularly with another ball dominant player like LeBron, you knew this was going to be a puzzle that was going to take time to solve, even given full health to everybody on the roster, which they have not come close to having. So I, I don't think Frank Vogel has, has found the solution yet. I also don't think he's been the problem. Um, but the Lakers just, for the, the stakes are the stakes. This is a championship robust team that has two double-digit wins this season, one of which was a 10-point on-the-nose win. They've played seemingly there in overtime every other night. And blowouts are typically the hallmark of a title contender. Like how many blowout wins do you get? They haven't really got any yet. They trailed by 25 plus six times this season already. Whew. Which that that's not a good number. And, and but but they will be better. And look, I mean, again, it's it's championship or bust, right? There's no when you have LeBron on your team, that that's all the expectations are. We're sitting here talking about can they get out of the play and will they make where will they be seated in the play and what can they even sneak in home court in the first round? I do think they will get on a roll at some point this season, but it's it's been a tough slog for them. Anthony Davis, after the triple overtime loss to the Kings, said, "Oh, I know we're ten and eleven, but like we could just have like a ten game winning streak and be twenty and eleven. So, what do they think they're the Phoenix Suns? I mean, it was it was wild how cavalier he was about the potential of doing something like that. But then again, the first Lakers team he played on." They said, "Hey, we're not going to lose two games in a row all year," and they only did it twice. They almost like went through being able to pull that off. That seemed like an audacious thing to call upon themselves to achieve, and for the most part, they stuck to it. So I don't know. Maybe there's a reason why he has that confidence, 
And he recognizes that the things that have come up through the start of the season are real factors that they tried to push through, but you can't reasonably push through. And, and now a lot of those things have fallen by the wayside because they have a healthy roster and you know, they have some more familiarity. And I don't know if their backs are against the wall, they better do it. But they would feel a lot differently if this team was 10 games under 500 rather than 500. And look, like I said, other than the jump shot, I think AD looks awesome. Um, let's go over some quick injury notes, one of which affects the Lakers, at least indirectly. Dave, the, the Western Conference, uh, I think, now has officially lost one potential title contender, in theory at least, title contender in theory this least, with, with the news that Michael Porter Jr. is going to undergo back surgery and potentially miss all or most of the season. Jamal Murray is still recovering from an ACL. There was always this carrot at the end of the season that, hey, remember how – it's like I loved the Nuggets last year. Mm-hmm. I was going to pick them to make the finals before Jamal Murray got hurt. That's a championship-caliber team, and there was always this carrot at the end of the year. Well, if Jamal recovers in time and gets enough games under his belt and, you know, maybe we'll see it. Well, now MPJ is is out for some undetermined period of time. Murray is not back. He's not scheduled to be back for a while. It just feels like a lost season for the Nuggets, which just just hurts you a lot when you have an MVP talent on your roster. And it does remove sort of one, I think, one potential sort of roadblock in the West. And it just shows you, like, that Murray injury was just devastating. And you only get so many shots at this thing, and you never know when one or more of your shots are going to be nuked by events out of your control. And, and it's just every single one of them – is precious and the Nuggets had one last year before injuries. It doesn't look like they're going to have one this year. And in the East, the Nets just announced that Joe Harris is going to undergo surgery. Their season, I mean, they're number one in the East, but their season has been derailed by now injuries and, of course, the Kyrie vaccination thing. Man, it's just a lot of variables go into this. But that Denver one, that was a looming threat that I think you have to put off to 2022, 2023. Woj is reporting, he broke the story, that Michael Porter Jr. will make a full recovery, is expected to make a full recovery. Let's hope so. Let's hope that Denver team gets another shot because, man, it's fragile in the NBA, Dave. You know, there are still people you hear about, was the Lakers bubble title a little bit of a fluke? Does it count as much? And this is like, I'm, I've, I've, I went the other way. It was like, if you win in that environment, it's almost like a, you get a plus asterisk. But you never got to apologize for winning because winning is really, really hard. Yeah, I've appreciated your discipline, whether it be on the podcast or going on NBA Today, whenever the contenders in the West would be talked about. And obviously, so far this year, it's been Warriors and Suns. But you were like, well, Denver, they get Murray. And Clippers, if they get Kawhi, you cannot count those teams out. And I think, yeah, maybe you won't have to be as disciplined anymore in those conversations. Now you just have to mention the Clippers with Kawhi. Because I, I, I don't – I have a hard time seeing Denver getting it done without having that kind of X factor that, that, that Porter brings. Yeah, and the, I, I said it before, like the Clippers and Kawhi himself have kept that door ajar. And I don't think anyone – three degrees removed from Kawhi Leonard does anything like that by accident. And so all I can conclude without any hard reporting beyond that is if they do well enough seating wise, they're in a position where he can look and say, depending on how everything goes with his knee, obviously we got a chance. I'm not ruling it out. I'm not sure I expect it. Maybe I do. I don't know. 
Um, but anyway, look, it's this is the Lakers are this is the most interesting the Lakers have been to me in a long time. It's just like because it's just such an interesting puzzle to see them try to solve. I, I I love watching them even when they're ugly to watch. And man, Stu, you don't I don't know if you watch the broadcast ever or you rewatch the broadcast. Even Stu Lance is starting to get a little upset by the stag. I mean, James Worthy had a little tantrum the other night, but Stu Lance on color commentary, he's even starting to be like, "Oh, whoa, they they actually cut on that possession." It's, it's he's getting frustrated. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not been good basketball, uh, but the team that they've put out on the court for the most part through twenty two games has not been the team that they envisioned when they put this team together in the offseason, starting with LeBron James. So. I'd say give it ten games here. If if it continues to be so unreliable, inconsistent, ten games from now, then certainly it's time to start sounding the alarm. But you got to at least give them some runway with this group healthy uh, to see what they have. And the the thing that's impressed me, I guess, one more silver lining is that when they have had their slippage, they have appeared to be accountable to one another and they, they haven't like let go of the rope and it's not like a group that doesn't seem to uh, recognize that you know, there's going to be some hard work involved here but it's probably worth it to do that and so you know that that can help them and uh, 10 games from now they could have a completely different outlook on the season I've seen it with you know, LeBron James teams before the, the Cavs were 19 and 20 in 2014, 2015. And a big part of the reason they were, had that record was LeBron James missed a bunch of time. <laughs> and I know LeBron's five years older than he was back then, but guess what? The guy's, the guy knows how to play basketball pretty, pretty dumb. Approaching number two all time in minutes, which is a stat I keep repeating. Cause I think it's just incredible. And also a little scary for the Lakers considering they need MVP level LeBron and there's essentially no history of MVP level play with this level of minutes, but there's no precedent for LeBron James. Uh, look, I didn't pick the Lakers to win the West at the beginning of the season, but I also said if they have LeBron and AD healthy, you can't rule them out. And, I, and I'm still there and I'd even give it more than 10 games. The roster is so weird. The injuries have been so much like I, I want to see the next 20 to 25 games because it's only been 115 minutes or whatever I said. But that big three with no center look appears to be working. And that's the only look that really I care about uh, when things matter. So I, I'm going to keep monitoring it. Certainly Golden State, Phoenix have lapped the field with Utah coming up behind them. But, um, you know, the Lakers aren't scared of anybody if they have LeBron and, and AD healthy. So Dave McMenamin, you will continue to chronicle uh this soap opera of a team, uh, you do great work. It's good to see can you. I, see can you. I tease um, something? Can I tease te something? Tease, tease. I have a story coming out uh, this week, I believe Thursday, on the Russell Westbrook-LeBron James pairing thus far. Ooh. So maybe learn some things in there to your listeners, to our readers. Please check it out. Thursday, ESPN.com. Dave has a piece on Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. That seems like something... NBA fans would be interested in uh, I think so. a piece yeah. of those two guys. All right, Dave, I'll see you out in LA in a couple weeks. Yes, sir. Bye.